Welcome to the What's Your Weird Story podcast. Everyone has at least one good story. And some of us have stories that are just to the left of normal. We're interested in the ones that push the boundaries of what we can perceive. Stories that defy explanations. Stories with an air of mystery. Stories we might not share. For fear of being thought of differently. But don't worry. We're all friends here. So... What's your weird story? Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. Fixing and blixing and all his reindeers pulling on the reins. Bells are ringing, children singing, all is merry and bright. So hang your stockings and say your prayers, cause Santa Claus comes tonight. Hello, Weirdsville. Hopefully everybody is doing well. We are here to celebrate your holidays with you. Hope everyone is uh, spending some quality time with their families and uh, enjoying some good holiday cheer, maybe in the form of a good drink. Uh, some good food and good company. I am your host, Barry Johnston. With me, as always, my co-host, Mr. Adam Beebe. How are you, Adam? Ho, ho, ho! Mer- <coughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> oh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, man. Thank you. That's how how how, how are things in your uh, in your neck of the woods? They are. Um, merry and bright. They're good, man. Um, you know, it's Christmas time so down here in uh, the south where it's warm, and uh, down here we're seeing the family, spending time with the family. It's been cool, and um, well, actually, I tell a lie, I haven't been down there yet. This comes out just before Christmas, as you know, because you're listening to it now. But I'm heading down south to spend a couple of days, short trip, short visit with, but spend some days, some time with the holidays with my family. And uh, I know you're going to be doing some traveling too. Yep, we're ready to. Uh, we're going up north, going up to uh, Wisconsin, and uh, going to see fan. Uh, f- f- family and friends and looking forward to that. And I know it's going to be a little bit chilly up there. So, uh, it's been warm down here. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. I just, I just, uh, downloaded some Christmas sound apps. Nice. Nice. (laughs) To add to the fun. I should have done that before. Um, but yes, happy holidays, everyone. This is, as Barry mentioned, the winter holiday Christmas show. Uh, we throw it under Christmas because we that's what our families practice. That's our tradition for uh, the Yule time. Um, but, you know, a, if you're celebrating whatever winter festival you are celebrating here towards the end of the year, we uh, we wish you a, a, a f- incredibly festive one at that. Hopefully... Um 
you know, everybody does, you know, is able to get together and not have uh, any major issues when it comes to uh, getting things on time. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that that could be a little bit of an, an issue, but so far we've been pretty good with that. Um, but I know that as we get closer to uh, to the actual date, that it will be a little bit tight. So, yes. Yeah, well, you know, and it's great that this year most of us are going to be able to spend time with our families again. Last year, you know, I was here with just my cats because of COVID. Didn't want to risk anything. Yeah, uh, would travel, but this year uh, we're there back to normal-ish, the new yeah. normal, I suppose. Yeah, but something that is normal—that is, well questionably normal uh the more you know someone the more you realize how not normal they may be Um, (laughs) i just had this conversation with my wife last night (laughs) (laughs) but uh with us part of our normal for the winter holiday christmas episode is story time with uncle jeff jeff hubbard our resident bigfoot expert our special correspondent our voice of the listener when you do those write-ins like we did last week. Um, yeah, Mr. Jeff Hubbard has joined us, and he's got another Christmas story for us. And also, as a bonus, we have our friend from Croatia, Carmen, here to share some Croatian and Slavic Christmas traditions, winter festival traditions with us. So we're going to talk to her for a bit as well. And it's just going to be a fun one. We hope you enjoy it. There's a, uh, there's, it's a uh, creepy Christmas ghost story as read by Mr. Hubbard. And uh, we should, uh, we should we go ahead, get the fire roaring and uh, get some of that killer eggnog my brother makes with lighter fluid and uh oh, yeah <laughs> grease up the chimney there you go and that's not a euphemism um <laughs> or perhaps it is um, perhaps it is for it is some of us it season. is so <laughs> all right everybody uh thanks for joining us and here we go uncle jeff what's your weird christmas story okay hey guys uh been a while it's good to be back good to uh, have you and in- yep. <laughs> thanks haven't had an introduction in a while i missed that uh yeah i think we've got a, a great story today this is called the kit bag by algernon blackwood mm, cool so i i say we just jump right in and you know if you guys have comments uh during the story just chime in cool sounds good okay here we go When the words, not guilty, sounded through the crowded courtroom that dark December afternoon, Arthur Wilbraham, the great criminal KC and leader for the triumphant defense, was represented by his junior. But Johnson, his private secretary, carried the verdict across to his chambers like lightning. It's what we expected, I think said the barrister, without emotion. And personally, I'm glad the case is over. There's no particular sign of pleasure that his defense of John Turk, the murderer, on a plea of insanity, had been successful. For no doubt he felt, as everyone who had watched the face felt, that no man 
had ever better deserved the gallows. I'm glad too, said Johnson. He had sat in the court for ten days watching the face of the man who had carried out the, with callous detail one of the most brutal and cold-blooded murders of recent years. Ooh. The council... <laughs> brutal. <laughs> the council glanced up at his secretary. They were more than employer and employed. For family and other reasons, they were friends. Ah, I remember. Yes. He yes. With a kind smile. And you want to get away for Christmas. You're going to skate and ski in the Alps, aren't you? Mm. If I was your age, I'd come with you. Johnson laughed shortly. <laughs> he, was a, <laughs> he was a young man of 26 with a delicate face like a girl's. <laughs> <laughs> that may be why uh, the old man wants to come with him. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Who knows? They're friends and beyond just family. So I can catch the morning boat now, he said. But that's not the reason I'm glad the trial is over. I'm glad it's over because I've seen the last of that man's dreadful face. It positively haunted me. That white skin, the black hair brushed low over the forehead, is a thing I shall never forget. It and sounds the description... Like... Oh. Go ahead with the description, because right now it sounds like Mo from The Three Stooges. <laughs> And the description of the way the dismembered body was crammed and packed with lime into that. Don't dwell on it, my dear fellow, interrupted the other, looking at him curiously out of his keen eyes. Don't think about it. Such, such pictures have a trick of coming back when one least wants them. He paused for a moment. Now go, he added presently, and enjoy your holiday. I shall want all your energy for my parliamentary work when you get back. And don't break your neck skiing. Johnson shook hands and took his leave. At the door, he turned suddenly. I knew there was something I wanted to ask you, he said. Would you mind lending me one of your kit bags? It's too late to get one tonight, and I leave in the morning before the shops are open. Of course, I'll send Henry over with it to one of your to your rooms. You shall have it the moment I get home. I promise to take great care of it, said Johnson gratefully, delighted to think that within 30 hours he would be nearing the brilliant sunshine of the high Alps in winter. The thought of that criminal court was like an evil dream in his mind. He dined at his club and went out to Bloomsbury, where he occupied the top floor in one of those old gaunt houses in which the rooms are large and lofty. The floor below his own was vacant and unfurnished, and below that were other lodgers whom he did not know. It was cheerless, and he looked forward heartily to a change. The night was even more cheerless. It was miserable, and few people were about. A cold, sleety rain was driving down the streets before the keenest east wind he had ever felt. It howled dismally among the big, gloomy houses of the great squares 
And when he reached his rooms, he heard it whistling and shouting over the world of black roofs beyond his windows. (laughs) 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 Or maybe... How <laughs> and I used to whistle that while waiting in line for Brahms, and people would just stare at us. And the whole point was to whistle all the way through without laughing, which was always very difficult. Because it's uncomfortable, and weird. Yeah, it, yeah, it's very, it's very strange, <laughs> very surreal that we're doing it, but it's still very funny because yeah, you know. and and you can't whistle Lassie softly. You know, it's something no, no, yeah, really, yeah. you've got to you've got to put your uh, diaphragm into that one. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Okay. In the hall, he met his landlady, shading a candle from the drafts with her thin hand. This come by a man from Mister Wilbram, sir. She pointed to what was evidently the kit bag. And Johnson thanked her and took it upstairs with him. I shall be going abroad. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Can we change it to Johnston so then we can all imagine that this is Barry? (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. Great idea. I I think I can incorporate that. Thanks. All right. She pointed to what was evidently the kit bag. And Johnston thanked her and took it upstairs with him. That does kind of add a little different... Uh, meaning to the story. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a face with the name. (laughs) I shall be going abroad in the morning for 10 days, Mrs. Monks, he said. I'll leave an address for letters. And I hope you'll have a Merry Christmas, sir, she said in a raucous, wheezy voice that suggested spirits. And better wealther than this. I hope so, too. She replied, her lodger, replied her lodger, sorry, I hope so too, replied her lodger, shuddering a little as the wind went roaring down the street outside. When he got upstairs, he heard the sleet volleying against the window panes. He put his kettle on to make a hot cup of coffee, and then he set about putting a few things in order for his absence. And now I must pack. Such as my packing is, he laughed to himself, and set to work at once. He liked the packing, for it brought the snow mountain so vividly before him and made him forget the unpleasant scenes of the past ten days. Besides, he was not elaborate in nature. His friend had lent him the very thing, a stout canvas kit bag, sack-shaped. With holes around the neck for the brass bar and padlock. (laughs) It was a bit shapeless, true, and not much to look at, but its capacity was unlimited. And there was no need. That's right. You you got that right, buddy. (laughs) I've heard that about Barry Sack. (laughs) (laughs) But its capacity was unlimited, and there was no need to pack carefully. He shoved it in his waterproof coat. Yeah. His fur. He sho- 
his fur cap and gloves, his skates and climbing boots, his sweaters, snow boots, and ear caps. And then on top of these, he piled his woolen shirts and underwear, his thick socks, his pooties, (laughs) and knickerbockers. The dress suit. Barry's at that age where he's got to take pooties and knickerbockers, especially if he's going on vacation. You (laughs) You don't leave home without. (laughs) Sounds real comfortable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The dress suit came next. In case the hotel people dress for dinner, and then, thinking of the best way to pack his white shirts, he paused for a moment to reflect. That's the worst of these kit bags, he mused vaguely, standing in the center of his sitting room, where he had come to fetch some string. It was after ten o'clock. A furious gust of wind rattled the windows as though to hurry him up. And he thought of the pity of the poor Londoners whose Christmas would be spent in such a climate, climate, whilst he was skimming over snowy slopes in bright sunshine and dancing in the evening with rosy-cheeked girls. Ah, that reminded him. He must put his dancing pups, pumps and evening socks in the bag. Pumps? He crossed... Wait, hold his, on. His, his dancing pumps. Now... I, 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 um, and I'm not judging on anything. And this is, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure I don't know everything about Barry's life, but uh, the pumps are generally kind of like high heel lady yeah, shoes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're dancing, don't judge, don't judge. No, no, hey, hey, you know, they get you help you get your groom on, then go for it, man. <laughs> yeah, you got to be prepared for everything. That's, That's right. true. Yep. So he crossed over from his sitting room to the cupboard on the landing where he kept his linen. As he did so, he heard someone coming up the stairs. He stood still a moment on the landing to listen. It was Mrs. Monk's step, he thought. She must be coming up with the last post. But then the steps ceased suddenly, and he heard no more. They were at least two flights down, and he came to the conclusion... They were too heavy to be those of his bibulous landlady. No doubt they belonged to a late lodger who had mistaken his floor. He went to his bedroom and packed his pumps and dress shirt as best he could. The kit bag by this time was two-thirds full and stood upright on its own base like a sack of flour. For the first time he noticed that it was old and dirty the canvas faded and worn, and that it had obviously been subjected to rather rough treatment. It was not a very nice bag to have sent him, certainly not a new one, or one that his chief valued. He gave the matters a passing thought and went on with his packing. Once or twice, however, he caught himself wondering who it could have been wandering down below, for Mrs. Monks had not come up with letters, and the floor was empty and unfurnished. From time to time, moreover, he was almost certain he heard a soft tread of someone padding about over the bare boards, cautiously, stealthily, and silently as possible, and further, that the sounds had been lately coming distinctly nearer. For the first time in his life, he began to feel a little creepy. 
Then as though to emphasize this feeling, an odd thing happened. As he left the bathroom, having just packed his recalcitrant white shirts, he noticed that the top of the kit bag lopped over towards him with with an extraordinary resemblance to a human face. The canvas fell into a fold like a nose and forehead, and the brass rings for the padlock just filled the position of the eyes. A shadow? Or was it a travel stain? For he could not tell exactly, looked like hair. It gave him rather a turn, for it was so absurdly, so outrageously like the face of John Turk, the murderer. He laughed and went into the front room where the light was shining. <laughs> sorry, I was a little late with the uh, sound effects there. Sorry. Hey, it it worked. <laughs> it worked. That horrid case has got on my mind. He thought, "I shall be glad of a change of scene and air." In the sitting room, however. He was not pleased to hear again that stealthy tread upon the stairs and to realize that it was much closer than before, as well as unmistakably real. And this time he got up and went out to see who it could be creeping about on the upper staircase at such a late hour. But the sound ceased. Sorry, the sound ceased. But the sound ceased. There's no one visible on the stairs. He went to the floor below, not without trepidation, turned on the electric light to make sure that no one was hiding in the empty rooms of the unoccupied suite. There was not a stick of furniture large enough to hide a dog. And he called over the banisters to Mrs. Monks, but there was no answer. His voice echoed down into the dark vault of the house and was lost in the roar of the gale that howled outside. Everyone was in bed and asleep, everyone except himself and the owner of this soft and stealthy tread. (laughs) Ooh, that's a foreshadowing clue. My absurd imagination, I suppose, he thought. It must have been the wind, after all, although it seemed so very real and close, I thought. He went back to his packing. It was by this time getting on towards midnight. He drank his coffee up and lit another pipe, the last one before turning in. Gotta get some good sleep. It is definitely to say exactly at what point fear begins. Sorry, it is difficult to say exactly at what point fear begins. When the causes of that fear are not plainly before the eyes, impressions gather on the surface of the mind, film by film, as ice gathers upon the surface of still water, but often so slightly that they claim no definite recognition from the consciousness. Then a point is reached where the accumulated impressions become definite emotion, and the mind realizes that something has happened. With something of a start, Johnston suddenly recognized that he felt nervous, oddly nervous. 
Also, that for some time past, the causes of this feeling had been gathering slowly in his mind, but, the, but that he had only just reached the point where he was forced to acknowledge them. It was a singular and curious malaise that had come over him, and he hardly knew what to make of it. He felt as though he were doing something that strongly objected to by another person. Another person, moreover, who had some right to object. It was a most disturbing and disagreeable feeling, not unlike the persistent promptings of conscience. Almost, in fact, as if he were doing something he knew to be wrong. Yet, though he searched vigorously and honestly in his mind, he could nowhere lay his finger upon the secret of this growing uneasiness, and it perplexed him. More, it distressed and frightened him. <laughs> Pure nerves, I suppose, he said aloud with a forced laugh. Mountain air will cure all that. Ah, he added, still speaking to himself. And that reminds me, my snow glasses. He was standing by the door of the bedroom during this brief soliloquy as he passed quickly towards the sitting room to fetch them from the cupboard. He saw out of the corner of his eye the indistinct outline of a figure standing on the stairs a few feet from the top. It was someone in a stooping position, with one hand on the banisters and the face peering up towards the landing. And at the same moment, he heard a shuffling footstep. The person who had been creeping about below all this time had at last come up to his own floor. Who in the world could it be? And what in the name of heaven did he want? Johnston caught his breath sharply and stood stock still. Then, after a few seconds' hesitation, he found his courage and turned to investigate. Was that a, was that a toilet flush? No, that's a... Scary violin. Oh. Okay. So hype up the uh, the spookiness of the moment where Barry's yeah. turning. I like that. So he turned to investigate. The stairs he saw to his other amazement were empty. There was no one. He felt a series of cold shivers run over him. And something about the muscles of his legs gave a, a little, gave his legs gave a little and grew weak. For the space of several minutes, he peered steadily into the shadows that congregated about the top of the staircase where he had seen the figure. And then he walked fast. Almost ran, in fact, into the light of the front room. But hardly 
had he passed the inside of the doorway when he heard someone come up the stairs behind him with a quick bound and go swiftly into his bedroom. It was a heavy, but at the same time, a stealthy footstep and the tread of someone who did not wish to be seen. Chris Farley, and it was at- Beverly Hills Ninja. <laughs> <laughs> the tread of somebody who did not wish to be seen. And it was at this precise moment that the nervousness he had hitherto experienced leaped the boundary line and entered the state of fear, almost of acute, unreasoning fear. Before it turned into terror, there was a further boundary to cross, and beyond that, again, lay in the region of pure horror. Johnston's position was an unenviable one. By Jove! That was someone on the stairs then, he muttered, his flesh crawling all over. And whoever it was has now gone into my bedroom. His delicate, pale face turned absolutely white. And for some minutes, he hardly knew what to think or do. Then he realized intuitively that delay only set a premium upon fear. And he crossed the landing boldly and went straight into the other room, where a few seconds before, the steps had disappeared. Who's there? Is that you, Mrs. Monks? He called aloud as he went and heard the first half of his words echo down the empty stairs, while the second half fell dead against the curtains in a room that apparently held no other human figure than his own. Who's there? In a voice unnecessarily loud, and that only just held firm. What do you want here? Curtain swayed very slightly, and as he saw it, his heart felt as if it almost missed a beat. Yet he dashed forward and drew them aside with a rush. A window streaming with rain was all that met his gaze. He continued his search, but in vain. The cupboards held nothing but rows of clothes hanging motionless, and under the bed there was no sign of anyone hiding. He stepped backwards into the middle of the room, and as he did so, something all but tripped him up. Turning with a sudden spring of alarm, he saw the kit bag. Odd, he thought. That's not where I left it. A few moments before, it had surely been on his right, between the bed and the bath. He did not remember having moved it. It was very curious. What in the world was the matter with everything? Were all his senses gone queer? A terrific gust of wind tore at the windows, dashing the sleet against the glass with the force of a small gunshot, and then fled away, howling dismally over the waste of Bloomsbury roofs. A sudden vision of the channel next day rose in his mind and recalled to him sharp realities. There's no one here at any rate. That's quite clear, he exclaimed aloud. Yet at the time he uttered, he knew perfectly well that his words were not true. 
and that he did not believe them himself. He felt exactly as though someone was hiding close about him, watching all his movements, trying to hinder his packing in some way. And two of my senses, he added, keeping up the pretense, have played me the most absurd tricks. The steps I heard and the figure I saw were both entirely imaginary. He went back to the front room, poked the fire into a blaze and sat down before it to think. What impressed him more than anything else was the fact that the kit bag was no longer where he had left it. It had been dragged nearer to the door. What happened afterwards that night happened, of course, to a man already excited by fear and was perceived by a mind that had not the full and proper control, therefore, of the senses. Outwardly, Johnston remained calm and a master of himself to the end pretending to the very last everything he witnessed had a natural explanation or was merely delusions of his tired nerves. Mm. But inwardly, in his very heart, he knew all along that someone had been hiding downstairs in the empty suite when he came in, that this person had watched his opportunity and then stealthily made his way up to the bedroom and that all he saw and heard afterwards, from the moving of the kit bag to, well, to the other things this story has to tell, were caused directly by the presence of this invisible person. <laughs> and it was here, just when he most desired to keep his mind and thoughts controlled, that the vivid pictures received day after day upon the mental plates exposed in the courtroom of the old Bailey came strongly to light and developed themselves in the dark room of his inner vision. Mm. Brutal. Unpleasant, haunting memories have a way of coming to life again just when the mind least desires them in the silent watches of the night. On sleepless pillows during the lonely hours spent by sick and dying beds. And so now, in the same way, Johnston saw nothing but the dreadful face of John Turk, the murderer. Dum, dum, dum. Lowering at him from every corner of his mental field vision, the white skin, the evil eyes, and the fringe of black hair low over the forehead. All the pictures of those ten days in court crowded back into his mind, unbidden and very vivid. This is all rubbish and nerves, he exclaimed at length, springing with sudden energy from his chair. I shall finish my packing and go to bed. I'm overwrought, overtired. No doubt at this rate I shall hear steps and things all night. But his face was deadly white all the same. He snatched up his field glasses and walked across the bedroom, humming a music hall song as he went, a trifle too loud to be natural. And the instant he crossed the threshold and stood within the room, something turned cold about his heart, and he felt that every hair on his head stood up. The kit bag lay close in front of him, several feet nearer to the door, 
than he had left it. And just over its crumpled top, he saw a head and face slowly sinking down out of sight, as though someone were crouching behind it. And at the same moment, a sound like a long-drawn sigh was distinctly audible in the air about him between the gusts of the storm. <laughs> Damn. That's accurate. Johnston had more courage and willpower than the girlish indecision of his face indicated. <laughs> he looks like a pussy. <laughs> it's been known to happen. <laughs> but at first, such a wave of terror came over him that for some seconds, he could do nothing but stand and stare. A violent trembling ran down his back and legs, and he was conscious of a foolish, almost a hysterical impulse to scream aloud. That sigh seemed in, its, in his very ear, and the air still quivered with it. It was an unmistakably human sigh. Uh, <laughs> Who's there? He said at length, finding his voice. But though he meant to speak with loud decision, the tones came out instead in a faint whisper, for he had partly lost the control of his tongue and lips. He stepped forward so he could see all round and over the kit bag. Of course, there was nothing there, nothing but the faded carpet and the bulging canvas sides. He put out his hands and threw open the mouth of the sack where it had fallen over, being only three parts full, and then he saw for the first time that round the inside, some six inches from the top, there ran a broad smear of dull crimson. It was an old and faded blood stain. He uttered a scream. Ah! Sorry, I didn't have my sound effects queued up. That's all I could do. <laughs> <laughs> and drew back his hands as if they had been burnt. At the same moment, the kit bag gave a faint but unmistakable lurch forward towards the door. Johnson collapsed backwards, searching with his hands for the support of something solid, and the door being further behind him than he realized, received his weight just in time to prevent his falling and to shut with a resounding bang. At the same moment, the swinging of his left arm accidentally touched the electric switch and the light in the room went out. It was an awkward and disagreeable predicament, and if Johnson had not been possessed of real pluck, he might have done all manner of foolish things. As it was, however, he pulled himself together and groped furiously for the little brass knob to turn the light on again. But the rapid closing of the door had set the coats hanging, had set the coats hanging on it, a swinging, and his fingers became entangled in a confusion of sleeves and pockets, so that it was some moments before he found the switch. And in those few moments of bewilderment and terror, 
two things happened that sent him beyond recall over the boundary and into the region of genuine horror. He distinctly heard the kit bed shuffling across the floor in jerks and a close and, and close in front of his face sounded, sounded again in the sigh of a human being. In his anguished efforts to find the brass button on the wall, he nearly scraped the nails from his fingers. But even then, in those frenzied moments of alarm, so swift and alert are the impressions of a mind keyed up by a vivid emotion. He had time to realize that he dreaded the return of the light and that it might be better for him to stay hidden in the merciful screen of darkness. It was but the impulse of a moment, however, and before he had time to act upon it, he had yielded automatically to the original desire, and the room was flooded again with light. But the second instinct had been right. It would have been better for him to have stayed in the shelter of the kind darkness. For there, close before him, bending over the half-packed kit bag, clear as life, and the merciless glare of the electric light stood the figure of John Turk, the murderer. Sorry, I hit the wrong one. <laughs> Not three feet from him, the man stood. The fringe of black hair marked plainly against the pallor of the forehead. The whole horrible presentment of the scoundrel as vivid he had seen him the day after, day after day in the old Bailey, where he stood there in the dock, cynical and callous, under the very shadow of the gallows. In a flash, Johnston realized what it all meant. The dirty and much-used bag, the smear of crimson within the top, the dreadful stretched condition of the bulging sides— he remembered how the victim's body had been stuffed into a canvas bag for burial. The ghastly, dismembered fragments forced with lime into this very bag. The bag itself produced as evidence. It all came back to him, clear as day. Very softly. Very softly and stealthily. His hand groped behind him for the handle of the door. But before he could actually turn it, the very thing that he most of all dreaded came about. And John Turk lifted his devil's face and looked at him. At the same moment, that heavy sigh passed through the air of the room. Formulated, formulated somehow into words. It's my bag, and I want it. Johnston just remembered clawing the door open and then falling in a heap upon the floor of the landing as he tried frantically to make his way into the front room. He remained unconscious for a very long time, and it was still dark 
when he opened his eyes and realized that he was lying stiff and bruised on the cold boards. Then the memory of what he had seen rushed back into his mind, and he promptly fainted again. When he woke the second time, the wintry dawn was just beginning to peep in the windows, painting the stairs a cheerless, dismal gray. And he managed to crawl into the front room and cover himself with an overcoat and the armchair, where at length he fell asleep. A great clamor woke him. He recognized Mrs. Monk's voice, loud and voluble. What? You ain't been to bed, sir? Are you ill? Or has anything happened? And... There's an urgent gentleman to see you, though it ain't seven o'clock yet. And who is it? He stammered. I'm all right, thanks. Fell asleep in my chair, I suppose. Someone from Mr. Wilbram's. And he says he ought to see you quick before you go abroad. And I told him, show him up, please, at once, said Johnston, whose head was whirling and his mind was still full of dreadful visions. Mr. Willibram's man came in with many apologies and explained briefly and quickly that an absurd mistake had been made and that the wrong kit bag had been sent over the night before. Henry somehow got a hold of that one that came over from the courtroom and Mr. Will Abraham only discovered it when he saw his own lying in his room and asked why it, had not, why it had not gone to you, the man said. Oh, said Johnston stupidly. And he, and he must have brought you the one from the murder case instead, sir, I'm afraid, the man continued without the ghost of an expression on his face. The one John Turk packed the, the dead body in, Mr. Willibram's awful upset about it, sir, and he told me to come over first thing this morning with the right one, and as you were leaving by the boat, he pointed to a clean-looking kit bag on the floor, which he had just brought. And and I was to bring the other one back, sir, he added casually. For some minutes, Johnston could not find his voice. At last, he pointed in the direction of the bedroom. Perhaps you would kindly unpack it for me. Just empty the things out onto the floor. The man disappeared in the other room and was gone for five minutes. Johnston heard the shifting to and fro of the bag and the rattle of the skates and boots being unpacked. Thank you, sir, the man said, returning with the bag folded over his arm. And can I do anything more to help you, sir? What is it? asked Johnston seeing that he still had something he wished to say. The man shuffled and looked mysterious. Beg pardon, sir, but knowing your interest in the Turk case, I thought you'd maybe like to know what's happened. Yes. Uh, John Turk killed himself last night with poison immediately on getting his release. And he left a note for Mr. Willibram saying as he'd be much obliged if they'd have put him away, same as the woman he murdered, in the old kit bag. What time 
did he do it? <laughs> Sorry, I got a little excited there. <laughs> what time did he do it? Asked Johnston. Ten o'clock last night, sir, the warder says. And to... And... Uh, Mer- God and God bless us, everyone. <laughs> Tiny Tim. <laughs> I think that is a grown-up Tiny Tim. There you go. There you go. Uh, <laughs> all right. All right. Well, interesting. Yeah, Damn. that was uh, that was a lot of fun. It was a lot funner when we made it about Barry. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, Thanks, I did. Guys. I did like that. Yeah. No, that's so great. Barry, Barry did type in a lot because he knew what was going to happen. I love the, yeah, um, so. I love those old stories because of the language. Yes, you know, yeah. it's very, yeah. very it's about that time. You know, yeah, yeah. great terms of phrase. Yes, great story, man. Great story. All right, hope that makes everyone desire to uh, get all extra cozy and cuddly in bed. And, uh, you know, be careful of your sex, you know, <laughs> that's right. Be careful you never of know sex. what's going to come out of them or be in right. them. And, you know, right. yeah, you don't, you don't want blood on them. Yeah. If you got, if you find blood on your sack, you need to, you know, be very careful and check into that to have that looked at or doctor. something. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Oh, yeah. Nothing God. says Christmas like, um, a nice scary horror type story. That's Love right. It. Love it. Hey, everybody. You're listening to the What's Your Weird Story podcast. You probably knew that already because you're listening or downloaded to the episode off of your iTunes or your Spotify or whatever place you get your podcast from. We want to thank you for listening. We also want to remind you to like us, follow us, subscribe to us. Make sure that you get your new podcast episode every week. We'd also like to ask you to rate and review so that we can grow our audience. We can have more friends. We can have more stories. So thanks for listening to What's Your Weird Story. All right. Well, that was fun. Thank you, Jeff, for joining us and being part of the show. It's always a pleasure having you around. So much fun. And I enjoyed being able to change the main character of that story to you, Barry, Made it a little closer to home. Hit, yeah, it was great. Hard. Yeah, it was great. It was great. It was a lot of fun. It's always cool to do that annual Christmas show because yep. it's a little bit different and it's just we're having fun. And next up, we have our friend Carmen from Croatia. And she was kind enough to get together with us and, and talk a little bit about her family celebration and, and how they do things in Croatia. I'm really looking forward to talking with her and getting a feel for how she celebrates this time of year. Carmen, what's your weird Christmas story? We are, uh, we, we grew up in, we had a fairly traditional uh, Christian Christmas activities uh, that we associate with Christmas. But 
as you get older, you realize that people don't always have the same kind of celebrations and the same kind of traditions that go along with whatever you and your people do um, for Christmas. So we have joining us today again our friend Carmen from uh, Croatia and the Mythoslavic podcast, and she's going to share some of her Croatian Christmas mid winter festival celebration traditions and stories and whatnot. So, Carmen, thank you for joining us. Well, uh, yeah, Croatians and Slavic people in general, they have a bunch of uh, crazy rituals and customs connected with uh, Christmas and uh, holiday holidays in general. So, the important thing you need to know is that Croatia is divided uh, into it's mostly like a Catholic country, okay. but um, it's like half uh, Catholicism and uh, half like Orthodoxy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we have best of I would love to say both worlds. Yeah. And I grew up in a household that was mixed too. Oh, okay. So uh, we celebrated. Christmas like um, in two different ways and on two different dates because as you know Catholic Christmas is like Christmas Eve is on the 24th and the Christmas is on the 25th but um, in Orthodox religion you have um, Christmas Eve on the 6th of January and the Christmas is on the January 7th. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, These are the old dates uh, and they still are hanging on to them. Sure. Um, the, the, so you get the, two Christmases. Yeah, and two Sweet. presents. That's wow. awesome, man. Yes. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, that only you, happens in America if you've got divorced parents. Divorced parents, so, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I had. So it was, you know, I mean, that was, you know, that was a good thing about divorced parents when you're a kid. Is uh, two Christmases, but uh, yeah. you've got the whole family unit and had two Christmases there. Yeah, and but a good little couple of weeks apart. So you know, there's a buffer, <laughs> yeah. so you could still get some good presents. Now, now, can you can can they gift you a gift for the first Christmas, but then rewrap it and then give it to you at the second no. Christmas? What okay, kind good. Of animals. Okay, that? good, good. <laughs> I want to make sure. All right, no, good. No. That's universal. Uh, my parents, yeah, my parents were divorced too, actually. But um, okay. at the time, we were all living together. And after they got separated, I still got not only two gifts, but three because I had my grandparents here. Fantastic. So, yeah, it was a great being a kid in, awesome. in a mixed religion. That's here. cool. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, the figure of um, Santa Claus, actually, as you probably know, derived from um, Saint Nicholas. And many Christian uh, and Orthodox customs derived from paganism, which we had here right. as Slavic people. Yep. So, um, uh, there, uh, in Orthodoxy, it's called Božić Bata, which means like a Christmas father. Okay. Um, and Badnie Veče is like Christmas Eve. Okay. Uh, so it's celebrated maybe even as much as Christmas. So the Christmas Eve was very important to people here, and it still is. Sure. Um, there is one custom there is that is very uh, old and still uh, lingering uh, nowadays. It's um, 
it's uh, with it has a connection with paganism because um, the old Slavic people, uh, our ancestors, they worshipped uh, the old gods, as you know. Sure. One of them, and the main one, was the god Perun, which was associated with uh, an oak tree or okay. an oak symbol because it was um, it was a sacred tree at the time. So at the Christmas Eve. Uh, both religions here, uh, the Catholics and the Orthodox, uh, they um, they gather like branches of oak on Christmas Eve and uh, they um, take it into the house. Uh, most of the time they bless them in the house and they stay there in more modern times. They stay there until next Christmas wow. uh, to provide family with uh, abundancy and and health and i don't know everything sure uh, but in the old times or maybe in um, in some villages still here in croatia uh the custom was to cut down uh, i think maybe even the whole tree down um so they they had like um a ritual while cutting it down they prayed uh before the tree and thanked the tree for existing and giving uh, giving them, I don't know, uh, for some other uh, trees, maybe fruits or whatever, mm-hmm. because they really, they were connected with nature. Sure. So uh, they would thank the tree and they would cut it down. Uh, there is a ceremony, uh, which I don't know because I, I I didn't find the whole ceremony because it, it, it's old and we don't have any written uh, clues. Uh, so the prayer is said before the tree is kissed and cut down. And after that, it's leaned, it was leaned beside the doors inside or cut into smaller logs for... Mm. It was uh, more convenient. And the logs are put into the fire then after bringing into the house. And they sprinkle it with wine and grain, blessing uh, the household. Wow, Wow. that's so cool. I mean, we we forget a lot of times that these stories actually come from a real place. Like, it makes total sense that people would place a high value on wood back, you know, in the day. It was a sense of energy, a mm-hmm. sense of warmth, a sense of survival, a sense yeah, of life. And, all, all roof of over your head. Yeah, yeah, roof over your head. Your tools. Yeah. yeah. That's, wow. That's That was cool. Do, do you have a tradition similar to where, what, uh, well, it's not... I get it's our tradition, but it's not from us. But it's with the bringing trees in and decorating them in the house. Yeah, um, now we do, okay. uh, but I think it's it's pretty new. Uh, yeah. it, it's it, it's I think it's common here to decorate Christmas trees uh, from maybe late nineteenth century. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, until then, uh, it was still um, it was it was done the old way. Uh, but some some of the houses, even now in modern times, uh, most mostly villages, uh, they still tend to that old ways, and um, they take logs inside the house and pray to God now, and um, they put it into fire and and they wait for 
they wait for it to burn down um, because it was so sacred to them. Um, That's cool, man. Mm-hmm. That yeah. To be able to hold on to that, even though that you now your your religious beliefs are different, you still hold yeah, on to change. traditions. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that is that is um, what a great what a great message that is. You know. Yeah, for, we're still uh, like a, a country or uh, Slavic people in general, uh, the Russians and the Ukrainians and Croatians, Serbs, and so on. They're still uh, hung up pretty hung up on the old ways and mm-hmm. their the traditions are very sacred to them sure. so uh even my grandfather which grew up uh, in in the village and he moved to the city after it he still tended the old ways and uh, it was very important to him so in modern times they're a bit changed but mm. for example they don't take the whole um, tree, but they take a like a cluster of oak twigs uh, with yeah. leaves. So, but yeah, they they uh, they took the old ways and they assimilated it to more more modern times now. It's it's important that we hold on to our traditions, and in yeah. in America especially, um, there's this modern idea of you know anything with a religious or any sort of. Uh, you know, that kind of a spiritual connotation is shunned down, Mm -hmm. you know, it's shunned, shunned upon. And we're quick to dismiss these, these things. Um, But that's the fabric of our humanity. That is. Yeah, it is. The very beginnings, actually. Yeah, we change and we evolve as people, but we need to hold on to these things, you know. I think another thing that... I think another thing that in America, because we are um, such, we are you know, the, the quote unquote, cultural blending pot. Because there's, it's a, it's a, a nation of immigrants, um, yeah. and everybody except for the Native Americans came here from somewhere else. You know, that's why we have, you know, our traditions are a, really a just a huge blending of other countries and other traditions. And other beliefs, and they all fold in, and whatever is really, you know, just could be that it gets popular, could be that it's more marketable, could be that it's, you know, become that. Because, I mean, obviously, America is very centered around, like, uh, you know, the capitalism and uh, making industry of of everything everything um so yeah yeah, so you know i mean exploiting everything to get money to create things so um it's tradition and art and and, yeah in the culture are or it's all like just wash away you know the 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 meanings behind it and just give us the facade yeah it's getting lost for sure it's it's uh it's watered down it's not like yeah, we're profitable nowadays. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. But you know what? I noticed that too on my trip to Salem, Massachusetts. We went to to the see the where the witch trials were he- were held here, and it, you know, same thing. It's it's all capitalized. You know what I mean? It's all freaking corporate. You know, stuff. It's big money maker. You know, mm-hmm. and it's, so it's not. It's different than what I pictured it to be in my mind. I don't know why I pictured it to be any different, but. Um, you know, the reality of it is, is that we're losing um, our traditions, at least here in this country. And I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that um, in your part of the world, you guys are still hanging on to that. 
that sense well, of yeah, tradition. Well, yeah, we we try as, to because as much as you can, sure. Yeah, you have uh, like monetization of everything, mm-hmm. even here. Uh, so um, this is still um, it's still hanging on by a thread, but I I hope it will last. Uh, for quite some time, because as you said, it's it's the fabric of our existence. It's 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 nature. It's from what we derived, and it's pretty sad when you think I have a small kid. Uh, he will grow up, and he 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 wouldn't get to see those ways and customs that I saw from my grandfather, because now he died, and mm-hmm. that part of tradition. For Christmas and for other celebrations here, like it died with him because he was the oldest and he knew all that ways. And mm-hmm. uh, we, like grandchildren and children, and and my mom, which was which is um, here uh, still living uh, in the apartment above. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she we just picked up like um, some parts of it. But you can never, you can never um, know the things they knew, they saw, and they did. Yeah, you can yeah. recreate it in some your in some of your in ways. Your way, yeah, that's yeah. right. And I that's think right. that's one of the most important things about what you're doing with your podcast is you are doing those things that you are you're you're doing for somebody further down the line. What you want yeah. it done for you, you are preserving. Uh, your culture and heritage, and um, and doing it in an entertaining and informational way, and uh, I think it's you know again it's it's so well done, and it should be applauded for that. And you know you should maybe maybe even uh, the government will give you some money to do it. And <laughs> yeah, I will, can, I will can, ask them nicely. <laughs> there you go. And uh, write write you can write a book about all your stuff as well. You know, but. Uh, but yes, that's one of the things that I that is so just be, uh, next level, I guess, uh, for your podcast is because it is it's doing so much more than us just uh, sitting around and bullshitting with our friends, <laughs> <laughs> which is fun. But you know, yeah, 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 <laughs> we're not teaching yeah, anybody really in, anything. You know, we talked about monetization and capitalism. Um, Slavic mythology, uh, it was like a niche, but now it's with the Witcher and all the shows now and all the books now it's getting more mainstream and people figure out, uh, there's a chance to earn some money too. So, um, there are a lot of false informations going around, false deities, uh, false celebrations, false uh, everything, just in order to earn some money. And uh, people are thirsty of knowledge, and more and more people now are, I'd like to think, think uh, getting um, back to their roots and um, back to their ancestors. So they have some money by misleading people so that's one of the reasons i'm happy i started this because it's it's still a hobby i hope it will be a job full-time job one day but now um it's still a hobby so i'm happy i'm educating people in the most um i i'd like to think authentic way because i grew up in slavic culture and with slavic stories and customs so 
Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you for sharing those uh, traditions with us, your Christmas traditions. Um, really cool stuff. I know there's tons more, but I'm sure uh, you've got some presents to wrap and uh, some uh, Christmas cookies to make. I don't know. Is it, it just, uh, Father Christmas or St. Nicholas? Yeah. Uh, up there, or just, just Krampus visit in your neighborhood? Yeah, yeah sure. Sure. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> he, brings, he brings presents like coal and and yeah. twigs. And yeah, yeah. I got coal. I got coal. You know, when if you're you... an art student, coal and twigs is not really a bad gift. <laughs> yeah, I digress. <laughs> yeah, I got some uh, wrapping up to do, uh, and I've got some trees to cut. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. Thanks, Carmen, for coming Thanks, on. Carmen. Thank you. Have a happy Christmas and a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and all of Merry that. Merry Christmas and to you too. Have a great 2022 and hopefully we can, we can talk to you again soon. Sure. See you all next right. year. Just in. It seems the entire planet is being overtaken by a force unlike anything we've ever seen before. Its tentacles reach across the entire globe, from Beijing to Boston, from Moscow to Madrid. There seems to be no escaping its influence. It seems life as we know it will be forever changed now that the odd pod has arrived. To stay up to date on all developments, and we're urging that you stay informed. You can hear the latest information about the Odd Pod by searching for it on all major podcasting platforms. Remember, we can only be as safe as we are vigilant. Sorry, my phone shorted out there, um, but I'm just overcome with the Christmas spirit because, you know, this is my probably it, I, it's my favorite holiday uh, simply because I am a I never grew up, you know, as a kid. I've always, I'm a kid at heart and I always will be. And Christmas was always the best holiday. It was, you know, when you're younger, it's about obviously all the toys and getting all the presents and Santa Claus and, you know, what cool stuff you're going to get each year. And then, you know, as I got older, you know, it's more about giving out the cool stuff. Yeah, this time of year is, uh, it's all about giving, obviously. Uh, when you're a kid, it's about how many gifts can I get. But, uh, you know, as you get a little older, it's it's nice to give and, um, you know, just just take time, even if it's not a physical gift that you go pay for. Maybe it's something you make. Or just give somebody your time. Your time yeah. is the most 
important commodity that uh, that you can come by this time of year. And uh, I can remember, you know, when I was a kid and I'd wake up on Christmas morning, often I'd beat my sisters to the living room. I would wake up first uh, early in the morning, usually, and uh, I'd go into the living room. My mom would always put the stocking stuffers out so I could get into those, open some things up, but then I'd have to bide my time. So I'd either go back to bed or I'd have to wait for them to wake up. And, uh, you know, I was always, um, always trying to, uh, do my best to be patient, but it was very, very difficult. Yeah. Your sisters slept late. My family always slept late. I was always the very first up at the crack of dawn with enthusiasm extraordinaire because Santa had visited and I knew that there was going to be lots of cool toys and new stuff. But yeah, but now I am Santa. Um, well, uh, not the Santa, obviously, but I do know the Santa. Um, we are part of the same uh, beard club and um, also super nice guy. Obviously you would imagine so, but of yeah, course. he totally is. Um, he, uh, he likes he likes to write his Harley. Um, you know, strong beard games, strong yeah. beard game, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's OG always, um, always, man. And you know, just super giving. Obviously, you yeah. know, very generous with his time. Makes it happen yeah. somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Makes and it. And I mean, and this is you know when he's off the clock, when he's just you know, when he's just Chris, you know, Chris right, Kringle, right. He's just hanging Chris, out. He's not Santa. He's just Chris, you know. And, um, some people call him Nick, you know, whatever he right. goes, he'll answer to a lot of names, you know, some people call him, you know, father Christmas. Um, but you know, he only, he, he, he likes that during, you know, Christmas time, but you know, most of the time, the rest of the year, it's either Nick or Chris, you know, whatever, but super guy. Awesome. And, uh, I'm just so glad that he keeps up the tradition of visiting, uh, our house every year even my house here, I, um, well, he visits for me. He doesn't visit for my cats because I just found this out last year. Uh, I don't know if I told you this not or not, but I found out last year my cats are Jewish. So, oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. A, yeah, I've got them a little kitty menorah. That's but, great, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, interface for, family. It's, yeah, you know, right. About it. So, it's good stuff. So, Hanukkah is, is a part of your, uh, your ritual. Yeah, yeah. So they insist uh, I play Eight Crazy Nights with Adam Sandler, but you know, yeah, it is what it is. But uh, so with that in mind, Happy Hanukkah, everyone! Merry Christmas, everyone! Uh, joyous Festivus, wonderful Kwanzaa, um, incredible Yule, whatever your winter holiday you are celebrating this year. We hope it is the best that it's you know bringing getting back with everybody since. 2020 was such a weird year. 20 well, 2021 wasn't. It was still as weird, but you know now we're a little bit more back to normal. Yeah, and we get to spend time with our families and do Christmas holiday things. You know, from a, in, in a socially conscious, you know, way. But when you're sitting around the fireplace and you're all basking in the glow of the turkey that you've eaten. And the or ham or um, whatever Chinese takeout, whatever it is. When you're there with your family, and don't forget to uh, make sure mom and grandma have a little bit too much wine. 
uh, give Grandpa a extra shot, and you know when you're mixing up his whatever, or wh- however you ply the, your great family stories and secrets, get those from them, bring them back to us as our present, and share them with the world because everybody wants to hear all those great stories, all those fantastic, fun, weird, strange stories, and we want you, Weirdsville, to have a awesome time with your family whatever it is you're celebrating. Thank you for spending a little bit of that time with a couple of dudes who like to talk to people about weird stuff. We love you guys. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, everybody. Be safe. Be weird. As always, if you have a weird story, we want to hear it. If you have a lot of them, we want to hear them all. We can't do this podcast without your invaluable contributions. Whether it's sharing your stories, listening, rating, and spreading the word about the podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, be safe. Be weird. Stories presented on the What's Your Weird Story podcast are, to our knowledge, true experiences that our guests have had. We can't take the time to research all claims made, and besides, it's just not as fun.